0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: Our guests today are George Day and Paul Schumacher. George is an Emeritus Professor of Marketing at Wharton and a Senior Fellow at the Mac Institute for Innovation Management. Paul founded and has been the CEO and Chairman of Decision Strategies International, and he has also served on the faculty at Wharton and at the University of Chicago. We are speaking with them today about their new book, See Sooner, Act Faster, How Vigilant Leaders Thrive in an Era of Digital Turbulence. George and Paul, thank you so much for joining us today at Knowledge at Wharton. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Uh, George, uh, maybe we can start with you. Uh, What do you mean by vigilance, and why is it so important?
0: Well, let's start with uh, individual vigilance, which is a heightened sense of alertness. Uh, and we take that and bring it up to the full organization. And the idea of a leadership team, uh, which is our, our primary focus, uh, that's vigilant, is one that's uh, characterized by candor, high curiosity, openness, uh, because they receive a lot of weak signals, uh, and they're open to them. And and, and interestingly, we have found in the 10 years we've been working together on this, uh, that uh, whenever an organization missed a weak signal of either a threat or an opportunity, uh, that there was someone in the organization that in fact knew about it, but the leadership team didn't know about it so we built on that kernel to come up with this notion of a vigilant organization in in short one that is able to see sooner and the uh, the, the the reference point is the rivals both potential um, and current so uh, if I could just uh, add, yes. add
1: to that uh, what's what's the payoff for for a vigilant organization in terms of uh, being more vigilant than its rivals, since um, you mentioned
0: rivals. So the payoff, uh, we've, uh, we're very fortunate to have some colleagues um, in Europe do a study based upon part of our survey, and they actually asked the question, what is the payoff? But uh, as contrasted with much uh, management research, which is cross-sectional, they actually defined vigilant and vulnerable organizations, those that continually are surprised and wrong-footed, and they tracked 85 large European multinationals uh, over eight years. And uh, the payoff uh, was that the vigilant organizations had an increase in market capitalization that was double the uh, increase in market cap of the vulnerable organizations to find the way we do it, uh, which is, you know, investment and foresight capabilities and leadership commitment. Uh,
1: Paul, uh, why is vigilance so important, especially at a time of digital turbulence, as you say in the subtitle of your book?
2: Yes, I think uh, because you have these different combinations of technologies, they may be emerging technologies and already developed technologies, but when they coalesce to make something possible, it could be a new um, electronic digital product, it could be uh, Uber, it could be Airbnb, they, they, people don't see it coming quickly because it is not in the traditional mold. And it may not be in the space that uh, where people are looking. So the, the feature of these digital technologies uh, technologies, and often they are disruptive, but not always, um, would be that they don't respect industry boundaries the way normally is the case. They do allow for very fast scaling, sort of these light asset kind of things. Um, and they become new entrants who don't want to compete with the old business model, but they bring in a new one and to, to destroy maybe the, the old one or find a, a hybrid of these things. But each of these technologies, it may be five or six, seven technologies, if you think of autonomous cars, there's 20 different technologies now to predict when everything is at the right point of reliability, cost, functionality in order to make the car function and forget for for the moment regulations. (laughs) That is very hard to predict. So it seems that these happen suddenly. In fact, there's a long gestation period, but this combinatorial complexity, Uh, Well, that is an exponential explosion. If you have 20, 30 technologies that may coalesce, how do you get a fix on that? So is that the reason why turbulence is so hard to predict? Um, Yeah, I think there is an unpredictable element to it. And and so your vigilance has to respect the fact that it cannot all be analytically uh, predicted.
1: So, George, you, you mentioned uh, a very interesting term in your earlier comment, which is vulnerable organizations. I'm sorry? Vulnerable organizations. Oh, yes. yeah. And I was wondering, what factors matter most in explaining the difference between vigilant organizations and yeah. vulnerable ones?
0: So, um, the, the vigilant organizations we've already talked about. Now, why would you be vulnerable? Well, um, we have discovered that In this study that uh, we talked about where the uh, market cap increase was so much lower for the uh, vulnerable organizations, that uh, vulnerability starts at the top, and it's uh, a a consequence of the leadership team being uh, very short-term oriented, operational, uh, stick to the knitting uh, to use the old term, and uh, very comfortable in their familiar surveys. So they, they, they don't step outside the bounds of their industry. They don't challenge themselves. Uh, they stay within their comfort space. And as a consequence, there's not a lot of curiosity. Uh, they don't invest in foresight, uh, which is the second big factor. Uh, they uh, don't do, uh, for example, disciplined searches for opportunities using techniques like lead user analysis. Uh, they, they tend to be uh, more inside-out thinkers. That is, say, OK, I've got this capability, this resource. What do I do with it now? And uh, so that sets them up to be always reacting. And that's the definition of a vulnerable organization. It's always in React mode. It never has a chance to get ahead.
1: Paul, do you have something to add about why why it is that if organizations need to be vigilant all the time. That that vulnerability seems to be the norm. Do you have some of your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, because I think the day to day pressures uh, really command a lot of attention. It's almost like Gresham's law of planning where, you know, that the the less important stuff drives out the more important stuff, which has to do with the longer term, which always can wait people think. But in fact of course you using a precious time. It has to do with where the attention goes. Attention now we focus in our book on on the leadership team. We don't think it's one person, one CEO or board member who can say, this is how you become vigilant, we ask the question, what must the leadership team do at the corporate level, divisional level, functional level, SBU level, in order to be vigilant? And they become vulnerable the moment they get sucked into either protecting turf or the politics of organizations. um, And they don't really fully anticipate, once you have a shorter-term focus, how how the scenarios for the future may be very different from the the status quo. And there's a discomfort level with that. the, The... aversion to ambiguity, so people don't want to go there. So what they have to do is often counterintuitive. You have to almost say, as a leadership team, so what are the anomalies? What is happening in our environment that people are curious about? They, they wonder, why is this happening? And most of the time, that's white noise. People uh, people themselves, who maybe observe that a price is increased or that something happens, they want to raise it unless they have a good rationale for it. So you need a leader, sort of what Andy Grove did at... Intel, sort of to this paranoia that you're looking for the reasons why things may break, and that you're also willing to challenged the current model when he became CEO, as is well known, of course, then he challenged the business model and he said, if we had taken over this company through an acquisition, would we really stay on the current course? And he legitimates now uh, questions about whether they have the right business model still, but in light of signals that are weak. So when signals are weak, it's hard to build a strong case that you should make a bold move. You're just building upon what Paul just said,
1: uh, could we talk a little bit about some of the features that define a vigilant organization? And if you have an example or two of companies that demonstrate that, I think that would be great.
0: Yeah, there's uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, nonprofit as well as for profit. Uh, but I, I will start with uh, Adobe, which is a masterful example of a a a vigilant organization, because way back, uh, we all remember the shrink-wrapped image building uh, Photoshop uh, capability. And uh, when I talk to my students about shrink-wrapped software, they say, what, what? (laughs) They don't understand that concept. But it was only 15 years ago that that's the way software was uh, uh, sold. And you bought your software, and you got full rights to it. Adobe could see over the horizon, actually ahead of almost all their rivals, that cloud storage was going to dramatically change the way images are stored and made available. And so they made the decision to shift to a subscriber-based model where all the content uh, was lodged in the cloud. And, And of course, their uh, customers objected strenuously because they liked having the physical object. They said, what's this cloud up here? Uh, we, <laughs> we don't feel comfortable having our images out of our control. Uh, but uh, they, they uh, persisted because they were confident with uh, uh, what they had done in testing the proposition uh, and, and why we use the term, see sooner, then act faster. Acting faster is uh, doing probe and learn studies, a lot of experimentation, um, and uh, buying real options. Uh, It it doesn't mean acting in the full sense of jumping into the market, it's getting yourself ready so when the time is right, you have all the pieces in place. And uh, Adobe did that superbly. Um, but in another domain entirely, uh, I think um, the Canadian government was very far-sighted in realizing that uh, the, the future of digital technologies was going to be inextricably linked to artificial intelligence. And they made 10 years ago a major commitment to uh, investing in keeping the science at home, Uh, as is in Canada, Mm -hmm. and uh, making it very attractive for people to come from the States to Canada. Uh, They took a lot of the risk out. uh, But this required some pretty uh, far-sighted vigilance, in our term, and a lot of uh, initial investments to get proof of concept, make people comfortable with it. And now uh, we see the payoff. Mm -hmm.
1: In fact, it's interesting you mentioned the Canadian government because we, some time ago, featured the Vector Institute and interviewed Paige Dickey from there, who explained some some of these things in in, 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 in detail. Uh, uh, Paul, you referred to, in your earlier uh, comments, uh, the importance of reading weak signals. Uh, and I was wondering, you know, why, why is it so important to, for, for companies and leadership teams to pick up on weak signals? What exactly does that mean? And again... Like George, could you give any examples of companies that have done it well? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the first question is, what is a weak signal? And I would say it's something that on its own doesn't have a lot of meaning. But if it is combined, either by understanding the context of the signal or by combining it with other signals through triangulation, that it in fact holds a lot of informational value. So it requires a culture that is curious about anomalies or things that are contrary to expectations. So one pharmaceutical company, to give an example, was working on a dermatologist A logical drug, and they ran in standard controlled experiments, and the volunteers had to come in for medical checkups, and the person who registered them noticed that some of these were very cheerful, more so than others. And this is a woman, and she mentioned that the secretary to the people running the Trial, and they were also sufficiently curious. It starts with this culture of curiosity Mm -hmm. that they wanted to look into this. And as you can imagine, it turned out that many of these cheerful folks happened to be in the treatment group, (laughs) not in the control group. And even though this particular drug failed as a dermatological drug, it became a very successful um, antidepressant. Mm -hmm. Now. how often is it the case that weak signals from customers or from volunteers or from inside the organization die at the point where it is seen? It stays in the reception area, right, rather than make it all the way up the organization. And so the, so you need champions for weak signals, otherwise they will just die and they won't be noticed. I do think that the future foreshadows itself, and there's many warnings, but it's not presented on a gold platter. It's yeah. distributed, you know, throughout the organization. And beyond the organization, some of the signals may be in other industries, and if you go too far out, it may become very complex. So what Canada did is a great example when Japan tried to do something long, many decades ago in anticipating its future, through MITI and sort of industrial policies, they had identified artificial intelligence and supercomputers as the two big pillars, and that turned out to be not so easy to do, because they were very far into the future. So it's a very fine balance between where can you still not only understand it, but act on it in a responsible, you know, financially speaking way interesting, very
0: interesting. But be, be ready to act when the time is right. Yeah, the time is uh, and that was probably the problem with Japan. Um, let's go back to the, uh, the, the, the digital turbulence problem, mm-hmm. which um, it just increases the amount of data and information. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last data I saw was, or last information, was that The amount of data is doubling every 18 months. That means the signal-to-noise ratio is deteriorating rapidly. Uh, So the important weak signals of threats and opportunities are often shrouded in all of the noise. And uh, so we spend a lot of time in the book uh, helping leadership teams Think about how to allocate that scarce resource of attention and then uh, focus on a few areas that will be ultimately cri- extremely critical. And uh, so we have uh, come up with the concept of guiding questions. What are the six or eight questions? that you've got to keep your eyes on and make sure the whole organization is aware of them. Uh, and these questions come out of looking at where you missed things in the past, uh, diagnosing the future, I mean, diagnosing the present, and anticipating the future. Uh, and so we come up with two or three questions uh, that the whole organization is aware of It's widely communicated. You have task forces working on them. For example, a medical device company uh, some years ago was very concerned about the likelihood that a uh, drug would displace the function of a pacemaker. And uh, it's not implausible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were very concerned about it. Mm -hmm. So they said their guiding question was, what drug, pharmaceutical drug, could possibly displace and obsolete our, our product. And uh, so they created a task force. They made it highly visible. All of the weak signals mm-hmm. on that particular topic flowed into this one central node. And uh, uh, interestingly, just as a sidebar, they learned an enormous amount about the drug industry, and they found some amazingly effective drugs to enhance the capabilities of not only their uh, their stents, which they also sold, but of the uh, pacemakers.
1: That, that's a great. That's a great story. So, based on everything both of you have said so far, I wonder if I could ask each of you, uh, how can companies become more vigilant, or as you put it in your book, how can a company increase its vigilance quotient? So Paul, do you want to start with
2: that? Yeah, I think a very good starting point is to, And if I may just comment briefly on what George was saying, what was in the medical example striking is that it was many signals having receptors where they can be interpreted. So it's seldom that there is one weak signal, but it is this combination. And the CEO of DuPont, who is famously in the news for having identified early before the, you know, the Great Recession, three different signals of a cash flow problem with a customer in Japan, and then um, the the hotel in, in Wilmington, DuPont Hotel not being fully occupied and unusually low, and GM not being able to give production numbers to them as they normally would, he triangulated these, and they all happened at different times, not within the context at all of may there be a recession or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he said, oh, we're going to hit a wall, and saw that early, so that is the hard part to do. So one, I think, is to really identify cases where people were prescient in some sense. They saw the future, and as importantly, look at the past. So we start with an audit and say, let's look at what you missed in the past in the last 3 years what you saw early was it more a threat is an opportunity and when we did that with um, olympus for example there were things that they are really excellent at they saw underwater cameras at opportunity mm-hmm. before others did but there were other things that their endoscopes which were high end endoscopes would be displaced by uh, displaced by disposable endoscopes mm-hmm. they were Blind, there was a blind spot. And at Shell, we did this one. I worked at the corporate planning group in Shell in London, and we said, well, what has Shell missed? And it turns out they miss, of course, stuff in economics, but they don't miss a lot um, systematically in a, in In the other domains, except for one, in public relations and media, they didn't have a good sense. They had the Brent Spire fiasco at one point in the North Sea. In Nigeria, they had made payments to schools that ended up in the pockets of corrupt uh, officials. And then they overstated their 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 oil reserves. Just after, big companies looked very bad, and the head of ENP lost his job over that issue. So once you start to study the profile, you identify where is the organization systemically weak, and once you understand that, you can then say, well, how can we fix that? And of course, the doesn't predict the future mm-hmm. in that sense but at least you have a starting point point. and then the other way maybe george can talk about that if we have tests, lots of surveys to measure are uh, the requisite conditions for being vigilant mm-hmm. in place and we have a survey that has you know 30 questions that and we have benchmarks against which that can be compared so those are diagnostics that can
0: help so we offer uh, at the uh, the end of the book a, uh, an action agenda that is uh, consistent with all the examples we've talked about. There's a lot of research, but especially our research says there's two big factors, and that is leadership commitment to vigilance. It's highly visible, signal to the organization, and then uh, significant investments in foresight activities. Uh, so leadership commitment is uh, signaled by the amount of time you spend, for example, thinking about the future. Um, And and a vulnerable organization will spend less than 20%. Vigilant organizations spend up to 50% of the leadership time thinking about the future. Mm. Um, They also network very widely. Uh, They're open, they signal that uh, they're ready uh, and open to weak signals. Uh, Andy Grove uh, was a magician at that. Uh, he gave permission to people at the way out on their periphery uh, to come to him directly with a concern. Uh, and, and that kind of openness, uh, curiosity, and uh, uh, candor uh, is, is is critical because Vigilance is a team sport, Uh, and then you follow that with very visible investments in foresight activities, uh, including um, what we find is that 3M and companies of that sort invest an enormous amount in looking for opportunities. They don't wait for them to come, uh, but they use lead user analysis to uh, pursue uh, interesting uh, needs of their lead customers. Uh, they um, do a lot of experiments mm-hmm. and they have um, uh, a, a lot of investments in small startups, for example, that might have. A, but go back to the medical device company. They invested a lot uh, in small stakes in many, many companies mm-hmm. to get visibility mm-hmm. into what was the next generation. Rather than having it appear as a product, Mm -hmm. they knew the basic science. uh, And uh, then they communicated that widely through the organization. Finally, uh, just one of the things that is so consistent through all of our studies and examples is that when information is not shared, Mm -hmm. you're vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, uh, Uh, We've talked a lot about uh, for-profit companies, and I wonder if uh, vigilance and vulnerability are also applicable to other kinds of organizations, like non-profits, foundations, Mm -hmm. and so on.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so we also sampled, in particular, foundations, American foundations, with the help of the Council on Foundations, and also credit unions, American credit unions. The uh, corporate study was actually uh, global in this Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm a large number of global companies. But we do, can see a comparison. And indeed, the weight that some of these factors that we mentioned in terms of vigilance uh, differ. But, and it differs as a function of size, and it differs as a function of how the degrees of freedom, if you're highly regulated, as credit mm-hmm. unions are, there is, of course, less scope for really far-sighted leadership. Mm-hmm. Foundations likewise, some are small community foundations. Some are the MacArthur foundations, very big. And so there is a lot of... Um, you need, you need to understand the contingent factors why when is a certain foresight capability, a certain attitudinal shift critical in that sector so it's hard to sort of have here's the recipe, the five things they always work. they work but to different degrees. and so I think you cannot I think it's a, still a research topic about why vigilance varies and what are the determinants uh, of it because it depends on time, place, culture, all these yeah. kinds of things. George, would you
0: like to add? But um, uh, one interesting finding uh, was that the large foundations had the same attributes, mm. and, yeah. and mm. the, the vulnerable foundations uh, and the vigilant foundations were very similar to our sample of global organizations but only for the large foundations. Mm. The small community foundations with a restricted mandate, uh, maybe uh, only in a region, say uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, uh, with a very limited periphery, mm. they, they had a totally different, as, as Paul said, mm. those uh, very restricted uh, um, Entities didn't have much need for vigilance because they they knew what they had to do. They had very few resources, and uh, so we 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 only really began to appreciate how applicable the model was when we started looking at the big foundations.
1: Right. I'd like to sort of end with one question for each of you, thats uh, that is that let's imagine there is a CEO who comes to you and says. Uh, What's your one piece of advice to make my company's leadership team more vigilant? What would be
2: your top recommendations paul maybe. I would say re- reward it if you see it and and share the, the best practices and um, and instill a culture of curiosity and hypothesis yes. testing mm-hmm. yeah. and george
0: um, the litmus test is openness uh and and so that's almost the uh, other side of the uh, curiosity coin. But you also have to be open and make it clear to the organization that you're open to weak signals, uh, nagging concerns, anomalies that you can't explain. Uh, rather than having them bottled up in the, uh, at, at the point of contact with the marketplace, for example, uh, or the technologist, uh, People feel comfortable forwarding that up. And uh, that openness is is, uh, is a critical part of the curiosity.
1: Great. Well, George, Paul, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton about your book. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. Thanks
0: so Always. much. Always. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.